Blog Talk Radio. His name is Q, breaking down every single sport for you. On Thursday nights from 8 to 10, we are the true voice of the fans, so you know we always win. From hoops to football, the video games, baseball, hockey, the NCAA. We give our side, because that's all we know. This is a labor of love, that's why we do this show. From the murder mitten to the sunshine state, we can talk all day about who's great. Give us a call anytime, 760-539-3269. You know if we could, we would do this every day. Welcome to this episode of Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Oh, I forgot to add him. Q, you probably talking without it. Let's try it again. Welcome to another episode of Q&A. I'm Q. And I'm A. And we're here back at our newly regularly scheduled time on Tuesday, March the 7th, 2017. It's good to be back in the house with Sports Q&A fan base. Before we get deep into our show, let's talk about how you can get in contact with us. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at sports underscore QA, also sports underscore QA underscore preps for the preps, uh, for the high school preps. Also, Instagram, sports underscore QA. Follow us on the book, the Facebook fan page, Sports Q&A, the Facebook group, Sports Q&A, and also the Facebook account. Low L-O-W-E, the letter N, and Washington. Check out the webpage, www.sportsqanda.com. Last but not least, give us a call tonight. 760-539-3269. That is 760-539-3269. What's good, Q? <coughs> Cough for now, but I'm trying to get rid of it. See, we're back. At the, it seems like we play. It's a double hitter, like we were just here yesterday. But we had a short week. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, no doubt. What's good out there in the Big D? This weather. Hopefully, it's starting to turn around. I know last couple of weeks has been kind of up and down. Today was in the seventies. Yesterday was in the seventies. So I'm just hoping that it stays a little bit more consistent on the sports front. History could be made tonight at the American Airlines Center 
as the Dallas Mavericks take on the L.A. Lakers, and Dirk Nowitzki is on his quest to join the illustrious 30,000-point club. Only five other players are in that club. Um, I think it's Jordan, Kareem, Kobe, the mailman, I think one more, Will Chamberlain. Have, have been, are a part of that club, and if he scores 20 points tonight against the lowly Lakers, he will part of that club. And I know this wasn't on the topic, but I don't know if we've talked about this, but is Dirk Nowitzki a Hall of Famer? Dirk Nowitzki is a Hall of Famer um, for a couple of reasons. He's a Hall of Famer because he's from Germany, and his play and style of play being from there, he was I'm not gonna say he's he was the first. I'm trying to think. Sabonis, Sabonis was in the league before Dirk, right? Yeah. I, Dirk was a was a transformational player because he was that stretch four. I think one of the few stretch four that we saw in the league that was not from the U.S. and of course the Euro step, which has been popularized and, and mimicked, um, but. I just think his style of play, his longevity. Um, I mean, I go back and look at. I can't remember. I was watching some highlights and just looking at at Dirty D and when he first came in the league with his little baby face look and his little goatee piece, and uh, just the longevity. You know, he willed his team when they won the championship. That was his squad. Um, yeah. Now these last years have been waning a little bit, but you know. I think he he feels he oh, he may owe it to the team that that you know you rarely get a player of his uh, talent level staying with one team and one franchise for his whole career, so he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle just near the end because Dallas is kind of struggling, and he's the leader of that team, but Dallas Dirk put Dallas back on the map. I, you know, for other other than when uh, Jimmy Jackson and Jason Kidd and, and Michael Finley and those cats was on the team, Dallas was just a middle of a road team, and they had some young gun players. But thanks to Tony Braxton, that whole thing got shaken up. But uh, I think he's a, I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, it's easy to get in in basketball Hall of Fame um, for a number of reasons. Um, but I think even if it wasn't, I think he's he's the first ballot. His longevity, how he played, how he played the game, he represented. And at the end of the day, if you want people in the Hall of Fame, to an extent, be an ambassador of the game and what you want to represent. And and Dirk, he's done it. What about you? What are your oh thoughts? yeah, definitely. He's one of those players that has had a great career. Um, really stayed out of scandal, stayed out of the the news blotter for negative things. And he, like you said, he put Dallas back on the map. Um, recently they've kind of been that treadmill team that weren't good enough to get over the hump and be above that six, that five, six, uh, that five or six seed to be really able to contend for the the NBA title. But they've been a model of consistency um, with Dirk, and actually, um, kind of in a mistakenly happened type of way. These recent acquisitions of Seth Curry and Yogi Ferrell, and also the trade for Nerlens Noel, may have brought the talent that the team has been looking for for the, the last three or four years 
that they've struck out with during the, the free agency period. Uh, when you look at the how um, Harrison Barnes has turned into a great pickup, definitely compared to who they had last year, Chandler Parsons, who's having one of his worst careers and looks like a major free agency bust. Um, so that was a that was in favor of Dallas. If you look at even though they, he's no longer on the team, they brought in uh, Darren Williams, kind of rejuvenated uh, his career. Now he's on his way to Cleveland to try to win the title, but he helped kind of calm the storm here. And it, 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 it's been a couple of moves that have taken place down here that may not have been the most popular, but I think right now, even for even if Dirk can last maybe one or two more years, I think he may, as he goes out, he may see the team in a better better shape than what they have been the last two or three years, and that's definitely good for him and his legacy because, I mean, truthfully, like with most positions, him getting that him as one of the top power forwards in the game and definitely once he eclipses this 30,000-point plateau, he will go down in the history books as one of the best to do it. So just glad to have seen him play a couple of times, interview him a couple of times. So great player, great guy, great ambassador for the league. Yeah, I think he I think he embodies, you know, when you go over and take a risk, which it was a risk at the time. He, he was a young – I mean, I, I hate to – Please don't slap me, folks, in this comparison, but he was the reason why the Pistons took a Darko because of the mm-hmm. effect. Um, you know, that, that young guy, seven-footer, who had been playing with professionals since teenage years that had all this potential, and Dirk realized it. But Dirk was a totally different player than Darko. Darko was soft with a capital T. But – that's neither here nor there, but yeah, I, I think Dirk gonna I think Dirk is gonna get at least twenty five uh today and they're at home. So he's definitely gonna get his points. Uh it's gonna be a good thing standing ovation for Dirk and well deserved. Uh definitely well definitely. deserved. So we're gonna keep our point counterpoint right in the the, the heart of Texas. <coughs> the big America's team, only if you're from Dallas or you're a bandwagoner. Yeah, I said it. Dallas, they have a major decision to make, and there are some people that are waiting with bated breath for that decision to be made. But Romo, stay or go? I'll let Q start off with his points. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying one thing has to happen in order for my my stance to happen, and that's a major restructuring. Um, right now, if they if they keep him, he's a I think a twenty million dollar. If no, if, even if they release him, he's a twenty million dollar hit in dead cap space. So I really think that, and this may not be the popular mindset, but Dallas may have to consider keeping him. Um, you look at some of these other teams over the past few years, even this past season, the Oakland Raiders, Derek Carr on his way to having an uh, MVP caliber season, breaks his leg, 
and the Raiders' season is pretty much kaput. They shuffle in two in-up quarterbacks, and they miss out on a, a, a great opportunity to be one of the teams to fulfill one of their the prophecies that a lot of people have as being the favorite to come out of the AFC. I mean, stand with Dallas. Last year, the Romo goes down. Who's the backup? Brandon Whedon and a bunch of nobodies and a bunch of whoever did it and what for. And now you're looking at a situation where they go from a team that was contending for the Super Bowl but now looking <laughs> to the top five, top five of the NFL draft, man. I mean, it worked out for them because they ended up with Ezekiel Elliott. But I'm pretty sure Cowboys fans did not want to have have to suffer through that season like they did. And I just say all that to say, if they can find a way of keeping him at a reduced at a reduced rate, why not? This guy really needs to. I mean. Everybody loves that down here, but what happens if one or two things happen? If Dak gets hurt, who's the backup? Are they really okay with Kellen, Kellen Moore as the quarterback? What happens if if um, if Dak actually takes a step back if he doesn't have the the season that he had this year? What happens if Dak drops down to 25 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and loses a couple of games that he isn't supposed to. I guarantee you Cowboy Nation will start to get kind of worried just like they were ready to jump off through the back condition waiting on Romo to come back. So I just think if they can reduce that contract significantly, he's a great option. I mean, and truthfully, where is he going to go Without having some some deficiencies, they they're mentioning uh, Denver, but Denver's offensive line isn't isn't really good, so he's susceptible to being crunch boxed once he goes back to the mile, once he goes to the mile high city, and where else is he going to go? So cut that contract, keep Romo. Um, you you had some 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 good points. And it's a decision that probably on the surface, if you're Dallas and knowing what's happened uh, with other quarterbacks or teams that with our good teams and lost the quality quarterback, what's happened, Denver, uh, even teams like Pittsburgh when Big Ben goes down, you see what happened in Philadelphia so quickly without a quarterback, uh, a steady quarterback. Um, but the thing is, is that that's hurt. That's against Dallas. Probably what you're saying. Probably playing was smart for them as a team. Is the interest that's already coming out with uh, with Romo, where you have where Romo Dallas hasn't even decided. No, nothing has been leaked about what Dallas is going to do with Romo. Yet you have Denver already showing interest. You have the Chiefs already showing interest, which is surprising, and, and Romo apparently showing interest in the Chiefs. You have a lot of situations that now Jerry Jones may fool around, and I hope 
well, I ain't gonna say I hope because this hurts my point. But Jerry Jones may fool around and get a high, a high, uh, a, 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 between a, a, a third and a fifth, which I consider a high, considered damaged goods round pick for Romo in a situation, or he may go ahead and fleece somebody because they're so desperate. Because Denver knows that their window is probably about a year. They got about a year left in their window of time. And if they feel that they can squeeze and protect Romo and squeeze and get some more productivity out of him, they will – John Elway will pull the trigger and do whatever he feels they have to do and say, well, hey, all things given, we'll meet you in the Super Bowl, Jerry, and go ahead and do that. Uh, that's the thing, because if you get a team's in a bidding war, and that's one thing, Jerry Jones, he is a businessman, ain't – He's due for a fleecing because he's been fleeced enough. How about you look at that? Uh, uh, <laughs> how about you look at that dra- uh, that trade he made with the Lions for uh, Roy Williams? That actually helped the Lions a lot, a whole lot. That people, don't, Lions fans, probably if you go back and look at those picks, you probably wouldn't even re- realize how much that draft alone helped the Lions for that right. for that piece of damaged goods. So Jerry, he's due. And this is the ample time and ample opportunity. Get Romo from underneath you. Either expose Romo for what he is or let Romo show that he what he is, uh what he was is what he is. Either damaged goods or a quarterback that can lead the team somewhere. Not sure what that somewhere is is, but he can lead the team somewhere. So I say let it go to the highest bidder. Let it be known, hey, Tony. Listen, you're my son, but as a son of uh, a father, a son must do, put his son out to fend for himself at some point in time. And here's the thing. It's going to be winning for all parts. I'm going to trade you to somebody that has the potential to go to the Super Bowl, but I'm going to get high va- top value for you. And that's the only reason why they would do it, is if they get some top value in an area where they, or a draft pick or area and a, uh, a draft pick and a player that they can utilize to assist them. Because they're not that far away. Now, granted, it does put you in a tough situation if the the the, the NFL defenses catch up to Dak and what Dak was able to do. But once again, Dak still has more growth uh, and development, learning the offense and being able to develop and do more. So it's it's really a a situation is if if we're all in on Dak then we're gonna go ahead and let Tony go ahead and go. We're gonna get something for him. We're gonna get more resources. Maybe get another reserve offensive lineman, somebody to help protect him more, or another offensive weapon, and maybe another wide receiver, maybe uh, the, repl- the the replacement or tight end in training for Witten. But we're going to go ahead and let Tony go, and we, we've turned the page on that chapter, and now we're turning in to them boys. And we're going to see what we're going to do with them boys with this young offensive line and this young uh, quarterback and, and running back. And – I mean, that's the best thing to do if if you're Dallas. It's the best thing for Romo because an aging quarterback, the worst thing you do, if you still think you have something in the tank and you have a – the teams have a desire and a need for you, then guess what? Then you need to go somewhere because the thing is, he's not going to – if he sits on that bench again, they're, they're going to get absolutely nothing for him. He's going to be just in case. He's going to be that insurance for that car that's sitting in your lot that you ain't even started up in the year. And that's what's going to end up being the case if he stays in Dallas. So I say, Jerry, just let them talk. 
Let's hear what they have to say. See, we got a long time. We ain't even talking about free agency. We're talking about all the way to the draft. I can make this trade on draft day. The, the third day of draft day. Well, the second day of draft right. day is still that I can use. because. But the thing is, the closer you get to the draft, the more you're going to get for them. Because how many of those teams, Denver's not going to take a quarterback in the first round. Kansas City's not going to take a quarterback in the first round. The teams that you're going to take a quarterback in the first round are not teams that you're going to trade Romo for because you don't really want nothing that they have other than those high draft picks. So are you going to really trade them to that? You're going to sell, and that's the one thing that, that benefits Romo is that Jerry Jones views him as a son, so he wouldn't set him up and say, oh, I'm going to end up trading you to Cleveland. Now, if he does that, he's, 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 he's a better businessman <laughs> than what I thought. Because he's shown himself to have blind loyalty to certain players or players from certain schools, Arkansas, to say uh, that he's gonna go, he's gonna ride you to the ground. This is my dude. So I say, Jerry, just keep your ears to the ground. Somebody's gonna fool around and make an offer. Some some owner is gonna overstep the GM. The GM said, Hey, we're gonna do this. Said, No, I need Romo. We got to put butts in the seats. We're close. Our window is closing. I have no faith in in, in in our quarterback, or I want a competition because the game. And that's the thing. Romo is not a game manager unless he's hurt. True. Can you just imagine if you got, I'll say, a seventy-five percent Romo that can stay healthy for the entire year in Denver? How they would look just like the two thousand fifteen Denver? Just saying, it gives it gives them options that they didn't have before. Yeah, but I think just even getting beyond Denver, I think their issue, while they want to blame the quarterback position, it extended beyond what Trevor Simeon wasn't able to do. They lost some pieces on defense, and it kind of crept up on them. But you're right. I think if if he can end up going to a team like Denver. <clears throat> That is his best situation if they're not going to keep him. But, I mean, like you said, it's still a lot of time. But speaking of this, I got a question on the flip side. You have a – instead of having an aging quarterback, you have a young quarterback that is up for a new contract in Jimmy G in New England. We've already heard Brady talk that talk about playing until he's well into his 40s. What – does what will the Patriots do with Garoppolo? Do they trade him? And from what I've been hearing today, they're asking for not one but two first round picks for him. Do they keep him as the backup and try to sign him? A lot like we were just mentioning about uh, Mike Glennon to make him a high paid backup, or do they do the Romo situation? get some value from for him, and then start over. Because we've seen this with New England, the past couple of quarterbacks that have come after Brady. We saw it with Ryan Mallett. Um, um, we saw it with um, a couple other guys. And they still have one person that obviously doesn't look like he's going anywhere anytime soon. But the scary thing about it is with the game of football, you can go from Super Bowl MVP to has been in a, in a snap of a finger because that body breaks down or something happens where 
you you get you get injured in a way that you haven't been injured before, and your body just doesn't heal or doesn't respond like it normally does. Because now instead of being twenty six twenty seven, you're thirty nine forty. And right. So I guess my question, to you Al, is should New England pay Jimmy G or let him go and just hope that um, Brady is able to persevere through a couple more seasons and they draft or sign another quarterback and they're able to make that transition down the line instead of dealing with it this year? I think that they go ahead and re-sign him because here's the thing is that uh, but the thing is, he has to be a realistic. I mean, at the end of the day, you've done little or nothing. You've done spot work. You, you don't have outstanding stats. So you've done some spot work, and you want to get big bucks where you also want to think you want to get a chance to go ahead and be more than what you've shown that you can be in New England through lack of opportunity. New England is not going to let go of such a valuable resource because – and then – I don't know to what extent the league looks at the things that fans look like look as the backups who everybody thought were going to be great backups for New England, just kind of like the uh, coordinators for New England who we thought were going to be those that deal, and nobody's really turned out for the most part as being what we thought they were going to be. So I think that New England is going to keep its commodity and still control itself because unless somebody gives them what they want, they're not going to trade them. You already know New England is going to make at least 10 trades during the draft. And the thing is, is unless somebody gives them exactly what they want, they will keep them. They will convince Jimmy that this is the best place for you. You will get an opportunity. But if we don't, you'll get an opportunity or you'll get an opportunity to find a place somewhere else. But he's not going to outprice them. Because the thing is, is that you have, granted, you do play the position that, in my opinion, is has the least amount of depth as far as talent in the whole NFL, which is surprising to some folks, but that's just the re- the sad reality of the state of quarterbacks right now. Um, so you really don't have too much to go off of when you're not a starting quarterback that's looking for a better opportunity. But you could find what Brock Osweiler found. The market is in such high demand, you can go wherever. But you got to be released first. And that's the thing is, is that New England is going to – if New England – if I'm a GM and New England just decides to let Jimmy go, then they know something that we don't. That's just my thought process. Right. They know something that we don't if they let him go. Because once again, in his spot work, was he was a game manager. He was not dominating. He was not this. Wow, this guy is sitting here, and we got the next Tom Brady sitting behind Tom Brady. All we see is that hey, he can manage the game. He can win three out of the four games. Okay, cool. But what can you do when it's your team? Now, granted, people will say, well, Osweiler got Houston to to the playoffs. No, that defense got him to the playoffs. Uh-huh. So, and the thing is, is that they're almost having buyer's remorse right now. Uh, and if they made, you know, with the 
Nobody knows what, what J.J. Watt in Houston is going to end up being with his injuries, with him being such an explosive uh, player. With injuries to backs and legs, that's that's not good. That, that doesn't bode well. But I think England has the card. New England has the cards, and they can play them however they want to. They can hold them. They can fold them. They can uh, lay it out and, and let it ride, whatever they want to do. Because they have the player and they have – they can get the next – they'll drive somebody in the, the sixth round and this guy end up developing to being what he wants to be. But once again, I think if if Jimmy wants too much, they're going to let him go. And they'll ride with the chance that, that, that Brady won't get hurt. And if Brady gets hurt, New England will just say, all right, Brady's hurt. There's nothing we can do uh, for this season and we'll go ahead forward. And now you may see something out of this guy. You may not. Because at the end of the day, if if Brady got hurt, how confident are you that Jimmy is going to be able to lead them to where they would go with Brady or anywhere close? I'm not a New England fan. Yeah. I saw two out of his uh, four games. I'm not too convinced. But once again, when somebody has more prep time and they're in control, maybe. But I don't know. But I just feel New England is going to – Keep him unless he wants too much, and if he wants too much, he's not going to get as much as he asked for New England. He's going to get money from somewhere because you got some. Once again, I'm a proponent. I'm going to take a known commodity or a semi-known commodity than an unknown if I'm a team that has a chance. And when I'm talking about a team that has a chance, I'm talking about the uh, teams that make the play that make the playoffs. And the top two teams underneath that that didn't make the playoffs in each division. Those are teams that got a chance. Or teams that didn't that were kind of fell off because of a major injury. But other than that, we're in a two, three year period. So unless somebody's willing, like I said, to, to jump up, he's gonna be a patriot. <laughs> That's just the bottom line. And with that true. We're going to go right into our first break. Folks, we will be back on the other end. And I think we're going to – we're NFL heavy right now. I think we're going to stay NFL for a second and talk about how can we be down with the big bucks? Because I want to be like Mike Glennon when I grow, when I grow up. I don't know about you. But <laughs> with that, we're going to be right back after this break. This half-hour sports Q&A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back to Sports Q&A. We've hit the second half hour. It's 9.31. Make sure you give us a call. at 9.30. Oh, sorry. 831. I promise you. Man, you tried to. It's my eyes, man. I promise you. I need to get an eye. Anything that's, like, real close and small now, everything is like, <coughs> it's fighting for position in the post right now. I need. I really need to get my eyes shut. It's 831, folks. I'm sorry about that. So, on the other side of the break, we, we were talking NFL, and we talking about the $10 million man. $10 million just in case, man. Mike Glennon, and let me let me read these stats. And if you hear these stats, now mind you, a four-year pro, total of 21 games, complete percentage of, no, that can't be right, uh, 
No, I thought it. I was looking at the attempts per game, and it was thirty. Oh. And I was like, that can't be right. Uh, 59%, uh, 59%, uh, total of 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Now, first of all, those stats right there sounds like a season of a top tier, at least top third NFL quarterback. Like a career season, but that's his career over a four-year period where he did not play in 2015. The Amount of money that Mike Glennon is getting, ten million, is asinine. But it speaks to because we're talking about whose fault is it? Speaks to the, the 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 aspect of the quality of quarter and of talent at the quarterback position is at an all time low. And my question to you. It's kind of a secondary question. I'll let you answer the question about whose fault is it Mike Glennon getting paid that much. But do you see it changing anytime soon? I'm going to answer the latter question first. I don't think it's changing because, I mean, we've seen it. The, the market dictates what you should get, not necessarily the talent or your skill set. And right now, because of as as the the salary cap increases for for the league based on revenue, based on the popularity, that means the owners have to spend more money. I mean, there is a, a, a salary floor that these teams have to adhere to, so it's not like, oh, we can hold on to some of this money or we can only we only spend this much and hold on to the rest of it for something else. No, they have to spend this money. So when you look at teams that don't have quarterbacks or don't have a level of true comfort at the quarterback position, they're going to overspend to ensure that their team does not have that deficiency anymore. And, I mean, we've seen this also at other positions, but it's just been more so with lesser teams like our Lions overspending to attract certain talent to organizations. The Browns have to do it. The Lions have had to do it. I mean, to an extent, post-Super Bowl, the Bucks have had to do it. They're just, I think they're realizing now it's getting them nowhere. We've seen the, the results of the Jacksonville Jaguar spending spree last year put them in a situation where they have to have a new coach. <laughs> so, you, you, there's a thin line between spending to succeed and spending frivolously. And I think right now with that quarterback position, it's on the other end. I mean, you have Lions fans right now with the the case of the Jitters because they're trying to decide whether Matt Stafford, as up and down as he's been, is he worth $25 million a year? Statistically, some will say no, but because of the market and because of what other guys who have maybe less talent than him have gotten, he's going to get the money. And in the grand scheme of it, in his final year of the contract, I think this year he's making $22 million. So truthfully, him going up to twenty-five isn't a big jump. It's only maybe a 3 to $5 million increase. But when you see that number, 
$25 million a year, it freaks people out. And to see a, a, a backup quarterback with statistics like that over a four- to five-year span get 10 to $12 million a year, that's unheard of. And we thought this was all these numbers and these high, absurd contracts were kind of going by the wayside once they put in the rookie uh, – they restructured the rookie uh, salary wages, but here we go again. You have teams that are so desperate to find something out of position, they're willing to basically break the bank and, and sacrifice their team because, I mean, the one other than him re-signing with uh, Tampa Bay, I've heard him link to Chicago. And truthfully, as a Lions fan, you have to jump for joy if you see him lining up under center for the Bears. Because real talk, I would take Matt Barkley at a lower cost than I would Matt Glennon. Because Barkley showed enough for me in a, in a few games that he plays that he's a pretty decent quarterback. He's not a Super Bowl quarterback. He's not an MVP quarterback. But neither is Mike Glennon. So which was the you you pay him? Extend him, you draft a quarterback, and then you let them battle battle it out rather than ten to fifteen million dollars for a quarterback that you know isn't going to get you to the next level. Yeah, um, but once again, that's today's NFL, and with it being today's NFL, you kind of have to take it. I mean, the market is is more of the market than it is talent that's going to determine what these contracts are um, and what they're going to be going forward. Like you said, a lot, 25 million people just look automatically. Oh, that's too much money. Uh, but like you said, it's only $3 million increase from what he was making last year, what Stafford was making last year. But when you look at the talent level, I mean, how many, how many teams would you take their quarterback for your team, regardless of what your team is? Maybe maybe mm. seven, maybe eight. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, it depends on what, what my team is. Right, a fourth if, of the if team. If it's an older quarterback, I mean, I guess looking at guys like Big Ben, uh, who else? Uh, Drew Brees, they're productive, but they're old. So how much right. longer do they have in the in the tank? You look at Eli Manning. He's a guy that's has two Super Bowl rings, but. He isn't. He doesn't jump off the page for a quarterback that I'm a. If I'm if I'm selecting a pickup team, or I'm doing a mock draft on Madden, he's not a quarterback I'm picking. No, but I'm not talking about a mock draft or a pickup team. I'm talking about teams that you have. I mean, Eli, uh, Drew Brees, Big Ben are exponentially up, exponential upgrades for multiple teams at quarterback, whether Big Ben sure. is 38 or 18. Okay. And that's the thing. It shouldn't – It shouldn't. you look at that and you look at your top quarterbacks being 32 and up, that's a problem. Like, who is your top – who's the top quarterback under 28? That – is it? I mean – that's Under twenty eight, yeah. Mm, Derek Carr. Uh, mm. Who else? Uh, 
Maybe Cam, maybe Luck. Right. So I mean, there's a couple of options, but it's not as it's it's not as many as you would think it would. It should be. Exactly. And that's the th- and that's the biggest problem. That is not what it should be. So therefore, now you have each year new quarterbacks are going to come in. At at some point, Quinn. Is there going to come a point in time where there is the, the, the quality of quarterbacks are going to drop? Because you're going to have a mass exodus within, I say, a three- to five-year period. 70% of your top-tier quarterbacks are going to be out the league right now. Mm-hmm. So what hap- What happens? Nobody's looking at nobody's looking at that way. Everybody's right here, and then yeah, if that happens, guess what? The NFL is gonna change some rules, and it's gonna be some craziness to avoid, uh, you know, avoid avoid this disaster to take the eye off the quarterback and highlight other things. But that's a reality. That's 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 a harsh reality. And and that's un, like you said because it's such an important position. Even then, they're not they're only going to be able to do so much because a quarter you can't hide. Yeah, you may you can't hide that quarterback play. I mean, look at the Bears. They tried to do it with uh, um, Jay Cutler. Uh, look at Jacksonville. They're trying to do it now with even um, Blake Bortles. But both of those teams had young. Decent. I can't. No, I'm gonna say I can't even call Chicago's defense decent. They were pretty good. They were top ten in in yards allowed per game. And you see where they still ended up because of bad decisions from that position. And we talk this talk of defense wins championships, but a defense can only do so much. If and if you don't have competent or even above average quarterback play. It's gonna it's gonna hamstring you. It, they both they're one and the same. Give me a team with a a, a top fifteen ranked defense, but then also a top fifteen ranked offense. Then we can talk. But if you have a top ten a top ten offense, the chances of you really being able to succeed with a a bottom ten defense is not there, and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, it's almost I, I I don't think I've seen outside of the Ravens, Bears were early on. I saw that Super Bowl, but it was earlier before I could really get into it. The Ravens, I'm trying to think of, of others. The 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 Seahawks, Tampa Bay, and Brad Johnson. Right, right. Tampa Bay. Outside of that, you haven't seen in our generation just dominant. Defense is being the, the 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 best team winning the Super Bowl at the end of the day, but I think mm-hmm. this, and I think that this draft and we haven't really gotten to the draft yet, but with the combine and how deep this draft is defensively, I think a lot of teams are going to be able to improve enough that this league will over time, and I think by the end of that three- to five-year reign, will become a defensive team, uh, defensive league again. 
where defenses are truly dominant because if you don't have good quarterback play, the only thing that's going to save you is having a all-pro offensive line and a good to great running back. The running back has been yeah. quite quite a big of a bounce back in the last couple of years as far as talent spilling from college to the pros, but I see the defense coming to take over. I don't see the fans having the issues with it. I think the NFL has an issue from a marketing and branding point of view of defenses being the bread and butter, but I think that it, it's inevitable. It's, I don't think there's anything they can do to stop it. The only thing you can do to stop it is Hey, from this point on, all college quarterbacks have to go to college quarterback camp. Uh, they can't leave until they're senior. I mean, there's only so so much you can do. And all the you got to do something extreme. Like college coaches can only run pro offenses. <laughs> that's that's, that's the only we know thing that's not gonna happen. Right, but that's the only thing you can do really to improve the, the quarterback play. I mean, it's kind of simple. Similar, scarily and eerily, in NFL, probably not paying attention. It's kind of very similar to what's going on in the NBA. Same type of deal. Yeah, you have these two, three studs a year that may come out, but how many of them truly develop into that next thing? And the same thing in NFL. I mean, NBA, you have your studs, your stars. Some, the ones that are still holding on, D Wade, Melo, some uh, Dirk. Holding on, and then you have your next tier in between LeBron and and I don't even know who in that in that there. And then you got your, your young guy, younger guys, Kawhi and, and Steph Curry and Harden and those guys. But there's a huge gap, a huge gap between the talent that's coming in. But the thing is, is that if teams are going to continue to pay for mediocre talent, then you're going to eventually have a mediocre product. And you can dance, uh, you can uh, dial it all up as much as you want, put makeup on it and everything else. But if it's not talent, it's not talent. So I don't know. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see as the years progress how it's going to be addressed. Because nobody, I mean, the NFL, people who cover NFL really don't talk about it. Everybody's good or great when you're on the telecast or there's a reason why you're not good or great, but at the end of the day is that some of these guys 10, 15 years ago wouldn't even sniff the field at the right. quarterback position. So, once again, quarterback. Now, could we see a situation where they're making the league even more? And I, I don't think it's this way, but I've heard a lot of people say it more soft and more quarterback-friendly to compensate the lack of talent coming from that position? Because I think that's part of the reason why we have so many garbage rules or garbage uh, situations where quarterbacks can no longer be touched here, hit there, uh, or basically walking around with uh, with a, a, a guardsman because the league knows if this quarterback goes down, or certain quarterbacks go down on certain teams, the quality of play goes from 85 to 55, and that's the majority of the league. I mean, think about it. You take – I mean, we we talked about uh, Dallas here. We talked about Denver. We talked about Oakland. We talked about um, 
we talked about so many teams where if they lost their quarterback, their starting quarterback, they're in trouble. But how many teams would be okay if they lost their backup quarterback for more than two or three weeks? No team. And and that turns, especially if it's a a upper echelon team like a, a Green Bay, like a New England, like a Denver, um, should even not at this point, like a Kansas City. What happens if Alex Smith goes down? Who's the backup? I don't even know who the backup quarterback is in Kansas City. But you have those type of circumstances and situations where the league really is like, we can't viewership, people tune in to watch the quarterback. So we can't have these guys not in the game. Yeah, Brady was the exception last year with the suspension and all that. But more often than not, we have to do what we can to keep our marquee players, which happen to be the guys under center, healthy. They don't care about running backs. They don't care about wide receivers. They don't care about Von Miller. Shoot, they barely even – I don't even think they care about J.J. Watt like that because you see what happened with, with Houston. They didn't miss a beat without them. So they realize, okay, they can overcome losing a star cornerback. They can over, Teams can overcome losing a star defensive end. You just kind of patch them it together. But that one position that tends to only be one person on the field at a time, when you lose him, you lose games, which means you lose money, which which means you lose viewership. viewership. Yep. And, and that's what's most important. I heard something on the radio earlier when they were talking about just – they actually were kind of talking about how down sports is in Detroit right now, and they talk about why and why people kind of tune out on sports. And one of the biggest issues there are is they're kind of pricing out the average fan. You know, mm-hmm. as you know, we can always catch tickets to Tiger games, always t- catch tickets to the Pistons, and occasionally get tickets. You know, usually go to about one Lions game a year. Red Wings, I've been to a couple. But the thing is that it was always accessible. But now you have a whole generation that, that their accessibility is on TV. And now you have such you have access to so many different teams that you don't have to support your local team. I'm Working in a high school, I see so many guys that support. I see so many Bulls hats, see so many Cavs hats, so many non-Detroit team hats that guys are supporting because that's who they see. And I guess part of it is when we grew up and from the time frame to, I would say, 80, the 80, mid-80s to the 90s, every franchise with the exception of, uh, excuse me, with the exception of um, the Lions won a championship. And Michigan State football. But, you know, so you had that, that time frame where everybody was winning. And so you were proud to. But, you know, everybody wants to be associated with a winner. But once you're associated with a winner or you're associated with your team, then you kind of – you don't necessarily ride with the team that's losing. That's the same reason we kind of talked about in years past why I could see how this generation of kids grew up being Michigan State fans. You know, because when they were growing up and they discovered football – Michigan State was good. So it, it's, I mean, it's, like you said earlier, you have 
ESPN, you have NBA TV, you have ESPNU, ESPN2, you have all these opportunities to watch other teams besides your own. Growing up, we had, I mean, other than the Monday night football game and then the the other game that you got, if it wasn't a blackout or a certain, certain situation like that, you were kind of forced to watch your own your local team. So you grew up. If you had a pro team, that was the team that you watched on TV. So you kind of followed them. You saw them. <clears throat> and now with so many different cable channels, the NFL package, Cody, you now can watch football without even having to watch, or you can watch basketball without having to watch your local teams. And it's like right. now I can, as a 15-year-old, or actually somebody that's 20 years old, I've been watching, you could say, oh, I've been watching uh, Denver because my father had the NFL package, and when we get home from church, that game was on. I right. mean, it's, it's ironic. One of our frat brothers, that's how he told the story of him becoming a San Francisco 49ers fan. He grew up in Chicago, but because during the 80s, the 49ers were good, he would get home for church, and they were usually on TV. So that's mm-hmm. what he ended up watching, not the Bears, because the Bears was the one o'clock game, and he was at church. So can you blame him from for living in Chicago with being a 49ers fan looking at his circumstance? You couldn't. Right. And and that's the thing is, you know, now that's even more commonplace uh, than it was before because you have options. And I'm not saying – I don't think that – Local teams are necessarily taking that for granted, but that's just how it's always been. Uh, that's how it's always been for fans and fan bases that, hey, you grew up here, this is who you're fans of. And I think struggling teams or teams that are not championship potential teams struggle with that all year round. And I think uh, they kind of, uh, you know, have to kind of reinvent themselves to do something different. But, it, I mean, it's a process. True. So, we're going to jump right into – actually, we can talk about the talk of the town. We're going to go a little pop culture. It's still related to football – I mean, the basketball. Uh, we're going to talk about a little pop culture. And good old Russell Westbrook and his lovely wife, Sierra. Russell Wilson. Oh, uh, what I say, Westbrook? Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson and Sierra released some beautiful pregnancy pictures today. And it's been the talk of the town because um, they're very interesting. They very looked like it, like they were very designed by Russell's uh, wife, and she kind of told him how to pose, and he kind of concurred with that and made it happen. If you didn't see it, just go ahead and, and look look at it and, and tell us how you feel. But it looks, in my opinion, Q and I kind of talked beforehand, it looks like uh, something that your wife dragged you to, that you had no choice and you had to go. Uh, but, you know, even... My wife was saying, what in the world is that? 
who told him to do that? Uh, <coughs> again, that artsy Hollywood type deal, or it may be that I don't know, but I know I wouldn't take that picture. Now I'm gonna just talk, chalk it up to them being celebrities and them trying to push push the the creative edge. I mean, it the I think the picture if it was just her and her older son in the picture, then okay. But the way Wilson is uh, positioned at her backside, it looks kind of off. Or even if it was just, I think it would have been better off just being. Her and the uh, and Wilson and Russell Wilson in the picture, because then you could have played with the 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 mother father type situation. So it it, it was just kind of weird. I'm not knocking it because I mean you gonna you can do what you want to do. It's your body. I wouldn't have took the picture. Definitely couldn't take the picture. And Al had jokes talking about that's gonna be the the pose for our next. If I have if I'm blessed to have another son. Not with all these roles back here. And this, uh, uh-uh, I'm straight. People be asking for money so we don't promote it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just interesting, one of those things where I think the unfortunate thing is you're going to see some hood baby mama and her baby daddy try to mimic this whole pose, and it's going to go all the way wrong because they shouldn't be doing it at all, but it is what it is. But to take it a step further, when you're, because you mentioned the whole thing about you do things, you don't even go shopping with your wife because you don't, you don't do things like that. But what if Chanel, Janelle made a request of you for pictures to wear a certain colored shirt with a certain, certain team, and this was like one of her only request for that year, would you do it or would you stand still and say, no, I'm not wearing that team? And you know what team I'm talking about. Listen, brother, we we done had this discussion plenty of times around these parts with uh, having to get a house divided, um, getting a house divided flag and all that other stuff. It ain't happening. It It is not happening at all. Um, I just can't do it. I ain't gonna be able to do it. That's that's kind of high 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 flowing because I will be upset. It 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 doesn't sit well with my soul. Uh, so now for those who haven't listened to the show or don't know, we're talking about the school in Columbus, the Ohio State. Um, his wife is from Ohio, big Buckeye fan. So it's just interesting that their dynamic. <clears throat> Come sports season, and I mean, I understand. I dated a girl that was an Ohio State alum, so it, it went even further. And seeing that those colors, seeing that that logo, I mean, I, I went I went as far as going on the campus. Now I must say, the campus is is very nice, but if it was any other school, so just I know it'd be awkward if she like we to continue dating or whatever and she made a request of taking pictures on that campus, I think I'd have had to put my foot down and be like, nah, anywhere but Columbus. Because certain yeah. things you just have to stand on your morals and be able to say, this isn't happening. And you just got to do it, man. I mean, 
the thing is, there's certain things that you have to do, certain things you just have to suck up and do it uh, to keep a happy home. And to me, that, situ- that, that picture with Russell Wilson, I think it was easier for him to just go ahead and take that picture. Because I really would love to see what his face looked like behind her back in the one picture <laughs> that I saw. Uh, is to uh, take that picture or have to deal with the constant complaints or nagging of you not doing this for the rest of the pregnancy, everything else you're going to have to buy, pre-push gifts, post-push gifts, everything. Man, just go ahead and do that, and you're good. I I did it for for my oldest. We did the pregnancy pictures and all the other stuff, which, you know what I'm saying, all that stuff was new to me, and I don't know nothing about that. But I did most Most guys don't. (laughs) Right. Until somebody else points it out. Before we go to the break, one thing I didn't do is I ain't do no baby shower. There's no such thing as no co-ed baby shower. Co-ed baby showers are non-existent. It's fake. Ain't nothing in a baby shower that's for the man, but the baby and his wife. <laughs> so Now, I uh, will say I've been to co-ed baby showers. Now, we didn't have one because hers was in Florida, and I didn't go, but... They were trying to get me to come. So, and I think if I'd have been able to two go, I would have been there. I have. I don't see a problem with it because they're fun. It's food and it's cake. So, hey, listen. There's certain things. Guess what? People we, we get mad. Hopefully, we don't. People don't get mad at this. There are still some things that are that are gender based that are for certain people and not. There's nothing nice about me uh, decorating myself, trying to look like a, make a hat out of tissue or play these baby song guessing games. That's not for me. That's, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, that's not my thing. So why, and Grant, it's, it's not even a compromise thing because it's nothing about that that is like, hey, I want to be all inclusive. Let me go ahead and do this and so we can, you know. No, I'll, I'll drop you off. I'll come pick up the stuff. I'll come say hi. I'll get a plate. Maybe I'll get a plate first before I leave when I drop you off. I go ahead, pick you up, pick up the stuff, tell everybody thank you. We good. Because that's just not the things that I do. I, I went to one. I did go to one co-ed, and it was worse. It was worse. And not because <laughs> of what it is, my reaction to it. Like, I couldn't overcome the aspect of, like, why am I here? Why did I get... Trick, I didn't get tricked to get in there because, but why am I here? This is not my thing. It's not my cup of tea. And it's okay for it not to be your cup of tea. And somebody has to accept it too. But with that, we went over here with me venting and all that stuff over the, 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 the nine o'clock hour. So let's hear sponsors and we'll be right back. This half hour sports QA has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek. Next up, mentoring, ticket wave, and fan siding. Welcome back to the second part of Sports Q&A. We are back at 9.03. It is 9 o'clock, huh? At 9.03. Um, welcome back. Give us a call. 760-539-3269. Make sure somebody mails Q some, uh, some echinacea cough drops. Cause that brother is having right. some drinks over there with the 
with the warm weather from Dallas. Uh, but he's going to be all right. But we're going into our second hour. I am not going to say anything else about what I will or will not do because either we're going to get some bad pub or somebody's going to call and I'm going to vehemently uh, disagree with what I have to say, and then we'll have a whole other conversation. Right. Because I know my book quick. So uh, we were talking about dirt and whiskey um, being 20 points away from 30,000, and it looks like, in the first half, he's going to get that 20. He's he's already at 18 points, and he's 6-7 from, from the field, 2-2 two two from three, 4-4 four, four from free throw line. So looks like Dirk is going to easily cruise into the 30K club, and congrats to him, congrats to the the Nowitzki the family and everybody associated with the Mavericks tonight. And the thing is, if you if if you had it your way, if you were Dirty D, what how would you like to score your point to get you into that club? Would you want to do a Euro step, a three, a dunk? How would you want to break that record? Dirt with the fadeaway kick. His, his signature fadeaway kick has to in the post, fadeaway kick off glass, buckets. Buckets. Yeah, yeah. That if there's ever a a statue of dirt in Dallas, it would definitely be of that fadeaway, because uh, it's unblockable. Uh, but with that, we're gonna parlay our way right on to some NBA talk. So it's about six weeks. Maybe less than that. Maybe five weeks left in the NBA season. Teams are jockeying for playoff positions. But we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about the MVP, who this year probably has been more of a competition uh, or basically at the end of the day a battle of the wild, wild west. Um, For a first time in a long time, I don't think that LeBron is even in the conversation. Not saying he's not going to get votes, but I don't think LeBron is in the conversation because I think it's a, in my opinion, a three-man race out in the West consisting of uh, Westbrook, Harden, and I'm going to put, I'm not, I'm going to put KD in there. Uh but even though I don't think he deserves it, but I think he's in the consideration because people didn't know how he was going to fit within there. He has had a a lower uh, output, but just him fitting in and making that team exponentially, well, not exponentially, making them better tested or look like they prepared more, but he's hurt right now. But, um, act, yeah, I think that those uh, – but I think the top two – are uh, Harden and Westbrook. Um, I'm just going to go jump in, and I just think if I had a vote right now, my vote for MVP would be James Harden for a couple of reasons. Now, granted, James Harden has more talent on his team than Westbrook. Westbrook, I hope he does it. Looks like he is going to average a triple-double for the season. That may put him over just because it hasn't been done since the big O. Um, but 
James Harden has become a player that no one thought that he could be. He could be a combination, a, a scorer and a distributor. Uh, nobody thought James Harden probably could average more than four assists in the game, and he found the right combination of a coach that kind of built the offense around him and got him to be able to understand that you can get other people involved and get yourself involved and the team be more successful. Because I don't know if anybody else saw this coming, but who, I mean, people thought Houston would be where they are, possibly vying for and being in position to take advantage of a, a, a Kevin Durant-less uh, warrior team that can catch them slipping and could creep up to that top spot with things aligning in the right way. I know I didn't. Um, but I just think Harden is taking his game to the next level. Uh, I think another year like this, he could be at superstar level. Some people view him that as now, but I think in the past he was just viewed as an overall scorer. And I just think that what Westbrook is doing what he what he's doing, number one, because he has to, given who he has on his team. But if there any year that I could give a co-MVP, it would be this year. But I think if I only had one vote, I'm giving it to James the Beard Harden. Okay, that's fair. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna backtrack some and combat the fact that you think LeBron isn't even in competition this year. I uh, I think every year, kind of like Jordan, he's up there. Will he win it? Probably not, but I still think he may finish in the top four. Now, after seeing this guy come on this year, he's been a, a, a unheralded star because he's not a superstar. But he's done his, his duty as a two-way player, and this year the expectation was bigger for him, and he lived up to the hype. I'm on the Kawhi Leonard train, and, and I just think that a lot of people thought he wasn't – everybody knew what he was capable of as a defender. But seeing him post, I think he has 20, 30-point games this year, had another one last night against Harden, including a, a, a stretch where he scored the key, the go-ahead three-pointer, and then blocked Harden to steal the victory. I think he is – the true epitome of that title MVP, most valuable player. San Antonio is, I mean, with the Durant injury, is primed to jump into that number one spot, and it's because of him. Everybody figured, okay, uh, Tim Duncan is retiring. What's going to happen with the Spurs now? Maybe they take a step back. Maybe they do they find a way of staying in the upper echelon of the West. And the question is, yes, and it's because of this this obscure star who still drives a 97 SUV. So I really think he is the, the reason why San Antonio is who they are. And it's about time that the league gave it to somebody that really earned it. I mean, I, I, I appreciate what Westbrook is doing, but I think he's going to be penalized because of how how the the Thunder end up as far as record record wise. So when you compare Houston and San Antonio, 
I just think San Antonio is going to be a better team. I think they still, I mean, I just think they have that system as far as a better team, but I just think Houston, if they can get in in a, in a nice little spot, could be the team that nobody wants to see. Um, not saying they can win the West, but they're a much improved team, which, you know, looking forward, future-wise, uh, will assist with attracting free agents to that team to want to be a part of that. Because it's, it's, it's Harden's team. It was Harden's team, but now I think it's truly Harden's team. I think he's viewed as a leader as opposed to just being the best player on that team. Uh, so it's the kind of the maturation of a, of a player that a lot of times you don't see this late in their career. Not that he's old, but you don't like to see this transformation this late in his career that uh, you, that you see in James Harden this year. So it's interesting to to, to watch it as it, as it unfolds. Uh, these last couple of weeks are going to be entertaining uh, just for that alone. Because these teams, these players, especially in these big games, definitely come out to play. But it, what's today's date? It's March 7th, right? Uh-huh. So it's about that time, folks. It's, it's definitely March Madness. Madness has already struck. It's already started. Uh, you have, I think, four teams, maybe five teams have punched their tickets already. Uh and you have the ACC tournament that's already started. You have uh, a lot of uh, other tournaments going on. But um, you got some craziness going on or some obscure things of what's going on with certain teams or conferences, that is, where these conference tournaments are being played. Because in the good old Midwest, the Big Ten, our conference, we ventured ourselves out to Washington, D.C., which makes kind of, uh, which makes by default uh, Maryland the host area, the Maryland, the, the East Coast area. And this kind of parallels what we were talking about with the NFL and marketing towards advertisers and trying to expand the fan base in uh, in a uh, unnatural way, in my opinion, forcing the Big Ten on 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 uh, nation's capital. I mean, that's Georgetown area. Um, you think of DC? What teams do you think of? The Big East. The Big Georgetown. East. <clears throat> Maybe I think even more so Virginia. And we're definitely getting to where the ACC is because they're no longer in Greensboro. This, well, they're not in Greensboro this year. They're somewhere else. I would have thought it more fitting for them to be in D.C. than the Big Ten. Yeah. And once again, looking at, you know, Greensboro is that spot for them because of it being – uh, Greensboro being that spot for them with it being in the heartland of where everything is. If you're not from ATC country, you're like, why in the world is it in Greensboro? Uh, but that's just a hotbed uh, in the midst of where they are. But I would, you know, 
you got plenty of options in that in those areas, Charlotte, other areas. Trying to expand <laughs> these these conferences have already have already established themselves. Unnaturally, it's just a, a slap in the face to the fan base and everybody else. I can see a conference like the Horizon League trying to to uh, maximize its exposure by going to an area where it's a big market, the biggest market in the conference, which is the University of Detroit Mercy, which is not on the men's side, not necessarily a good team right now, but you now you have exposure where you can put the, the, the highlights there for everybody. So I don't right. – I that makes sense. We're trying to increase the brand. We're trying to maximize – you have two teams within the 20-mile radius uh, distance. Oakland, which was the number one seed who got upset by Youngstown State by a buzzer beater shot. Um, and the University of Detroit Mercy, <clears throat> that brings the draw. Now, I tell you that, once again, when you're trying to get the excitement about that, granted, U of D, not that many people are going down to Callahan to see him unless you know somebody. But when you put it at Joe Lewis Arena and eventually Joe, uh, uh, what is it, Little Caesars Arena, LCA, yeah. Then now you add add a, a added attraction because they were I got offered like four times the la, the last time when I was in line at the uh, beauty supply shop buying some new clippers tickets to go to the game, which means this is that 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 the community and the people who are marketing this recognize that you you are giving the the area in which where this is the opportunity to see some basketball outside of high school basketball that you normally didn't see because nobody's going to right. see I'm not sure I don't I'm not talking about U of D like that but in this market nobody's just going down to see U of D unless you've been a lifelong Detroiter and you you went to U of D or you just a diehard fan because you'd rather sit at home and watch a Michigan or Michigan State game than go down to see U of D at Callahan for twelve dollars. That's just a fact. But the thing is, is that when you have these big markets, how many people in D.C. are really going to say, oh, let me go check out this Big Ten tournament? The Big Ten tournament being in D.C., I will be more willing to go to D.C. to watch the Big Ten tournament just to see the Big Ten tournament. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter where it is. You can hold it at Chrysler Arena. I would want to go see it. And I think that's yeah. the one of the things they may want to do um, now that they've finally got the seed in and everything done how you should have it, is, hey, let these early round games be, you know, you got enough time. You got a week. You can start it early. Let them be home games. You got enough time to be able to do it where you can still involve the fan base because you basically have taken your entire fan base of the Big Ten and removed them from the situation unless you're in striking distance of Rutgers, uh, if you're a Rutgers or you're in Maryland. So basically, Maryland, which is, is one of the top four teams, that is almost a home game for them. They're going to have more fans than yeah, anybody else. It's, it's one of those situations where there's, this also isn't a matter of no other schools are in major markets. You have Indiana and Purdue in Indiana, so you got Canseco from the Pacers. You have in Northwestern, so you have the United Center for Chicago. You have uh, Michigan, Michigan State, so you have the Palace or Little Caesars, 
once they eventually move Pistons down to that arena in, in, in Detroit, you have better options. And I think D.C. was that attempt to show Maryland and maybe even Rutgers, oh, we're going to include you guys. We're going to throw you guys a bone when you get, when they didn't need to do that. That's a move that's done by, like you said earlier, the lower conferences. That's the same reason why the MAC plays on Tuesday. MAC football is on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You don't see SEC on football on on Thursday. You don't see Big Ten football on Wednesday because they have a big enough of an audience where they can play their most of their games on Saturday and still have the viewership that they need to be okay with that. It's the smaller conferences that may have to venture out beyond their scope to a bigger venue to attract some fans. And it's like, I just don't get it. Um, and maybe I say, I forgot about this with the ACC. Maybe this is in response to the, the whole thing, the, the same-sex bathroom issue that cost Charlotte the All-Star game. Maybe that's why they moved out of Greensboro. But I, I still think there were other venues or other areas that they could have gone to that was a lot closer or fit their fit their um, their area a little bit better than going all the way up to New York. Because I mean, what Syracuse, and that's that's not even the same area when you consider Syracuse is upstate New York, and we're talking about New York City. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and and once again, it's all ploys to try to get more marketing, more money, more advertising for the Big Ten because you you have advertisers that you'll see on this on the telecast that you've never seen before because you're in a different market, you know, uh, which it makes money for the, the conference, which makes sense. But from a fan's point, I think at the end of the day, sadly, I think and more so on the professional level, but on the college level to an extent that universities and teams will be happy selling out an arena with all corporate seats because it's guaranteed to be sold out yeah. when you get your money. The, then the corporations can put whoever they want in those seats. There is all the revenue source, and the fans still are guaranteed to be able to watch it on TV. So who from from a from a conglomerate level who's losing in that sense? If you look at it from that point, and the thing yeah. is, is that I've never been, I've never been to the game. I think you you've been to the CIAA games. I've never been to a conference mm-hmm. game, tournament game. I would love. To. <laughs> no, the closest. Yeah, well, yeah, not a conference tournament. I've been to NCAA game when it was at the Palace, but. I've never been to a conference tournament game. So that's just that excitement of that whole time period, especially if you're there for the whole four or five days that it takes place and you're going into the game and you're experiencing that whole piece. That's what it's all about. It's a college experience, but they're taking the college experience and making it a professional experience. And in all reality, it sucks. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, it sucks horribly for the average fan. Now, let me ask you this. So with this being that, if you're growing up, and I know it's hypothetical, 
But if you're growing up right now in today's age, a fandom and everything else, with all this, would this bother you? Would this affect your fandom if you're in market or out of market? Or do you just follow who you follow? Or do you just follow the good teams? I mean, because I was it was inbred in me who to be a fan of. I had a choice at some point in time, but I, my, I stayed with what was embedded inside of me. But now when you have this and everything's wide open, and I'll use a perfect example, and this was had to be 2008, nine, maybe seven, when the first year when the NCAA tournament uh was at the Palace before the Final Four, went to the practices. Where one, this is how I was coaching basketball. One of my players, I, I'll shout him out now. I haven't seen this guy since he graduated from eighth grade, Tamar Davis. This dude, Tamar Davis, was watching, I guess, the, the Pac-10 at the time tournament and fell in love with a certain player from Arizona State, James Harden. This dude was so excited. I hadn't even heard of James Harden. That dude was so excited. We went to the practices. He was so excited to see James Harden's practice. I had never heard of that cat, right? And now this dude in his mind and his whole situation is like, I am like the the talent finder. You know what I'm saying? But he legitimately right. found something in Harden that he was drawn to that made him want to see him and made him want to be a fan. So, like, in today's and I know it's almost impossible for you to put yourself in this place, but I'm going to make you do it anyway. Uh, in today's society of fandom, do these things that we're talking about right now matter to today's fan, the new fan, as far as who to root for, when you root, does it bother them? Mm. No, I think because they're, they're growing up in this era, whereas we had – Something different. This is all they know. So I mean, they're used to it. They're used to having options. They're used to being able, like you said, watch a, a Lonzo Ball play for UCLA and then becoming a fan of the team that he plays for in the NBA because he's on UCLA is on TV. Most of their games are on TV. Whereas with us, we didn't see West Coast players like that. I mean, we saw. We heard about Damon Stoudemire and all of them come tournament time, not during the regular season. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's the, the big piece about it is that exposure that we didn't have. I mean, and we had to learn about players reading the newspaper. You know, Selection Sunday, we're just seeing middle highlights. Oh, this is their best player. Maybe this guy is good. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's just, you know, kind of hard to fathom. But, once again, looking through a different spectrum, uh, it makes sense of how of how all that happens. So, we're not, gonna, we're not even going to go to the to our sponsors until, uh, at this 930 hour because I want to talk about two things. One of them is going to really carry us close to the end, and the other one will put us over top. But it's tournament time. Number one, uh, listeners, 
Thursday we will have our sports Q and A uh, bracket tournament back bracket contest up and running. You can join it. The winner will get some form of paraphernalia from your team of choice if you win it all. Uh, we have had the fortunate pleasure of having to buy a Ohio State uh, shirt for someone, but um, <laughs> that's past. But um, it's very competitive, very fun. Of course, people live and die by the uh, the brackets, and um, it'll be up and running, and we'll keep track of where people are and embarrass some folks and make some folks feel good about themselves. But between, after week one, everybody's usually on the same playing field, probably have about between uh, probably 13 and eight teams left in the tournament. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. I, I Actually, next week, be, next before next week's show, I'm going to go up and look up the historical data of our wins and our records, Q&I's records, over the past couple of years because one of us has fared better than the other. Uh, <laughs> Right, definitely. But before we get, uh, uh, I heard uh, you know people were talking about there was a talk uh, talk on the radio today about the most, uh, not the obscure but the kind of most unknown known uh, tournament players, players that came out of nowhere and just starred that kind of. <laughs> and I didn't necessarily want to do that, but. This is going to be more of a personal aspect than an, on a natural, a, na, a national perspective. But if we, Q and I, thinking about what are our top five all-time NCAA moments that we've seen, so we're not going back to five slamma jamma or, or anything that we haven't seen with our own eyes or, or the NC State, you know, all that, or, or Isaiah Thomas or Larry Bird and Magic and all. I didn't see those things. Q Q definitely didn't see those things. So we're gonna go over our top five all time tournament moments. It could be positive, negative, but it's gonna be our top five. So we're gonna exchange go I I mine is in no particular order. Um uh, some of them were automatically stood out in my head. Others uh were ones I had to think about a little more, get some reminders by looking at some some moments. But I'm going to give you, and once again, this is no particular order, top five tournament moments. Number one, well, the first one I'm going to talk about is 1989 Michigan versus Illinois in the semifinal game. The infamous Sean Higgins putback off the off the Terry Mills miss. Yes, I remember okay. it like yesterday. Yes, I remember it like yesterday. Yes, somewhere in my house I have the tape that has both the semifinal game and the final game. Somewhere in the house. Or at my parents' house. But that game right there, because I remember it vividly, that was kind of the first the second no, no, no. The second or third year, I really started paying attention to the NCAA tournament. I was really heavy into basketball at that time. Um, and we 
we lost twice to, to Illinois that year with Marcus Liberty and crew. And that game was just a back and forth game. Uh, you know, it was just classic. You I mean, I don't I'm trying to think how many it had to be at least seven to eight NBA players in that game. Because Michigan starting five, I want to say that Les Griffin was starting. Oh, yeah, my memory's coming back. Uh, <laughs> Michigan starting oh, five. Boy. No, I'm just saying, man, I, the, the good memories never die. It may take a minute for them to click in, but they never die. But it was uh, <laughs> seven NBA players. I think at least two players from Illinois. Uh, I know it was Marcus Liberty. I can't think of who his backcourt mate was. I know he uh, – he Kendall made it Gale, to the NBA. Yep, Kendall Gill. And then on Michigan, you had Ramil, uh, Glenn, Sean Higgins, Terry, Terry, my 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 second favorite player, Lloyd Vaught, the rebound mm-hmm. machine who back into his career. I hated that about him. And uh, I'm trying to, no, he wasn't on that. Was Riley on that team? Eric Riley? Or was he on the Fab Five team? I think he overlapped. He He overlapped. Yeah, I think so. He he was a freshman on 89, and he was a senior on Fab Five. Because Fab Five started in 93, 92. 92. So, yeah. So, Eric Riley. That team team was loaded with talent. Um. But that game just miserable, just uh, just yeah, so was, memorable. His freshman year was eighty nine, and his senior year was ninety three. So yeah, he was with both teams. Yeah, which is wild. Uh, but uh, it was such a memorable game, back and forth. Uh, me having a feeling that in no way that we can beat Illinois because they were just, you know, they dominated us that year. They won the tough games. We were just in a tough spot. But, once again, Glenn Rice put on a show during that tournament. Most uh, points in the ter- NCAA tournament all time till it was broken. I can't remember who broke it. Uh, but it was it, it was – that game was just amazing to me just to see the back and forth and just the, the weak side rebound. And I was a hoop. I was in middle school, '89. I was hooping strong. I was on like the middle school squad and another squad, and rebounding was my game. And, and after that game, I was always working on weak side rebounds because uh, that's what won them that game. And, and basically, in essence, got them championship, got them to the championship game. But that's one of my top five NCAA tournament memories. All right, I'm gonna give you. Mine, and this is a combo, Um, my first Mm -hmm. one, this is a combo, and I'm going to just label it HBCU upset. The first one was um, Hampton beating Iowa State in 2001, and then later on, actually 11 years later, Norfolk State taking down number two, Missouri, both being two seeds. I mean, both being 15 seeds, taking down the two seeds, it was just one of those things where nobody gave them a chance. This is still in the era of 
the high seas, really, the the 13, 14, and 15 seas really never really had a chance or never, weren't seen to have a chance. Definitely, I mean, we still have never seen the 116 upsets. So I'm not even counting that one. But just to see, even though I didn't go to an HBCU, just having the prize, seeing the, the, the team, seeing the coaches, bring a little bit more energy, seeing the dancers, uh, the cheerleaders being a little bit more exuberant than their their PWI counterparts. It just made me excited. And just to see them pull off these upsets, I know Iowa State had Marcus Pfizer on that team. They were kind of expected to really make some headway in the tournament. And then you look at the, uh, the Norfolk State team, that game put Kyle O'Quinn on the, mark, on the map and got him drafted in the NBA. Um, he put in a, a great performance and just showed that talent can be found anywhere. So to see both of those schools perform at a high level, and I think Hampton has since won another one of those opening round games. I don't know what they call them now. It, it, it shows that it. you would think it would have showed some of these mid-tier recruits that, hey, I can go to a black college and still shine. But we still haven't seen the transition like – many expect, and hopefully one day we find that one player that decides or a group of players decide, okay, I'm going to take my talents to Howard. I'm going to take my talents to Texas Southern or Grambling, and we're going to dominate because I think it's a lot easier to happen in basketball because all you need is maybe two or three players. Whereas football, you need 20 guys at least on a – a college on a football roster to make an impact on the team. And I don't see that many guys being willing to transition from a top-tier program to a, a, a FCS program. So that's where that stood out will be forever one of my greatest uh, NCAA tournament memories. All right. Come right back with another one. Hmm. Say come back, come back with another one. You just did. Oh, okay. One. Oh, my second one, uh, <clears throat> Butler. I mean, I, I guess I, I root for the the underdog, Butler, and Brad Stevens making back to back Final Four runs. I mean, to see that <clears throat> to see that team do what they were able to do was was pretty much impressive because they didn't have that true superstar player. It was basically a group of guys led by a great coach. Um, and they came within a, a, a half-court shot against Duke, and they had the other chance, I think, against Wichita State to um, make it to the title game. And I think that is the last chance we see of a mid-major, really, and you can't even call them mid-major anymore because now they're in the Big East, um, really being able to stand up and contend with the big boys. Uh, Brad Stevens also making that step to the NBA. A lot of people question whether he was capable of being uh, a quality coach. He's shown that he is, and he's definitely killing it with the Celtics. And their quest to overtake LeBron as that number one seed in the East. So just, I guess tonight for me is the underdog night. So I just had to give them kudos. Yeah, the underdogs definitely uh, play a big part. And it, uh, my favorite underdog moment, uh, 
was George Mason's run to uh, to the Final Four. Uh, definitely improbable. Another thing that made me smile is uh, the fact that they beat Michigan State on that run as well. Uh, they end up losing to, to <laughs> champion Florida. Again, you look at that team, it was determination, grit, coaching, a full buy-in by that team. There were no real stars. When I mean stars, I mean guys that 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 their talent were able to transfer over to the NBA on a high level where you see a true sense of team and the true sense of, hey, this is us going forward trying to do something and getting that opportunity. And that is the beauty of the tournament. The end of the day, that's the beauty of the tournament. Uh, I I love it. Uh, So that's number two. I'm going to come right back with number three. And this one was not my first year of the tournament really buying in, but it was a year that I would just end with two feet. I, I think the first tournament I remember vividly is, is uh, 86. 86, year, never ner- never nervous purpose. Uh, 87 was Indiana. And 88. 88 is when I really started paying attention to basketball on a different level, and I saw one of the most dominant performances in a tournament as well in the national championship game. And we saw on our future coaches out there with good old Larry Brown with Kansas and Danny Manning, who actually is the coach of Wake Forest, um, just dominate out there. Um, Kansas low-key after that year was my kind of in-pocket team. Now I'm kind of irritated by them because I'm like, come on, Big Bill. <laughs> nobody, nobody can beat these guys what they won, 12 straight conference championships, regular season. Nobody? Come on now. But just the, the way that he just dominated that game, the way he played, uh, I want – no, I'm trying to think off the memory without having to pull it up, and I probably got to pull it up. But I want to say they beat uh, Stacey King and uh, uh, Stacey King and Oklahoma, but I may be wrong. Kansas versus Oklahoma. I got it right. Man, I'm telling you, though, the memory works. In a minute, I'm going to start uh, naming off the World Series championships from 84 on up. But, uh, yeah, that game was just just overall back and forth um, game, and it was just like nobody really gave Kansas that ch- that, that shot. Stacey King was – I want to say he was national player of the year that year. Don't get me the line. But he was dominant. He, he was all-American. I know that. Um but Danny Manning just kind of put put uh, the Jayhawks on his back and kind of, I don't know, he kind of defined what a, a leader on the team should be for me in basketball. So that's kind of I hold other stars and players to what Danny Manning was for the Jayhawks to what they should be for their team. So that's why maybe a reason why a lot of people fall short in my eyes because that dude was the true leader of the team. Uh, 
So that's my memory number three. All right, I'm gonna find who's that national player of the year though. I said I'm gonna eventually. I'm looking up who's the national player of the year that year, but. Oh, now here's mine in this one. Oh, it was. Yeah. Now here's mine, and this is going to be at the expense of the Michigan Wolverines. But uh, the the run that the Loyola Loyola Marymount team went on after the death of Hank Gathers, Bo Kimball, um, that team, like I said, even though they blew the doors off of Michigan that year. Um, I enjoyed watching them, um, and just seeing that they were like they were a team of destiny. It's it's you don't want to think okay, stuff just falls in place, but it just seemed like everything went right for them that year. Um, they ended up falling short in their quest for the title, but it was just up until that point, being able to watch them. Um. Do what they did was just a feat, and I, was, I mean, like I said, it was unfortunate that it came about after the death of Hank Gathers, but just one of the great basketball memories of my childhood. Yeah, and just for folks who may not have been around during that time frame, the Wolverines took it on the can one forty nine to one fifteen. That's right, folks, one forty nine to one fifteen. Uh, that game was crazy. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was beyond crazy. Uh, I just want—I just want to look up this box score real quick. Uh, yeah, that was 1990, but, um, <coughs> and they made it. Yeah, to, uh, to the championship. Bill <laughs> Kimball, 30, 37 points. But here's the thing: Jeff Fryer with 41 points, 11 from 15 from three-point land. And what's crazy, what made that so crazy is the they scored 111 points in the opening round game against New Mexico. They scored 111 points. Against Michigan, they scored 149. But the Sweet 16 game against Alabama, they only scored 62 points. But then in the eventual game that they lost to UNLV, the number one seed, they went back up over the 100-point mark. So it's <laughs> just to see – I would like to go back and see what happened in that Alabama game that caused them to have such a drop-off statistically. But that was one of those, like I said, that was a run. They're making it to the <coughs> Sweet 16. But they ran into that bus saw called UNLV, and everybody who, who they played, Georgia Tech, even Duke, Duke suffered a 30-point loss. So they actually played the game Around the same, had the same deficit. So, I mean, it was it was a good tournament run for them, considering what happened. Paul Westhead was the coach of that team. Ended up going to the NBA. Didn't have the success that a lot of people expected, but they did their job. Yeah, they did. And just for the Michigan fans, like this game wasn't a woodshed game until the second half, because Michigan was only down seven points at the half. 65 to 58 in today's John Beeline, that's a final score. Mm-hmm. But Michigan gave up 84 points in the second half. 
dude is crazy. I remember that game like crazy, like that season. Everything that was like, even though that was middle school, that was basketball wise and fandom. That was like the height of my fandom because following that and following that came the U of M versus in, uh, North Carolina, and that's why I learned to hate J.R. Reed <laughs> and, uh, and Rick Fox. Uh, during those times because of how they put Michigan out to turn in, what, two years in a row, I think? Maybe that, no, maybe that may have been that, – that was after that was after the national championship, not before. All right, so <clears throat> here we go. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to do this in order that, that makes sense to put my team at one. So my fourth memory is the UNLV-Duke game, not – the one with when uh, when Duke won, but when UNLV beat the brakes. That, that same year, 1990. 1990. And that squad was so dominant uh, <clears throat> that it was insane. Had, of course, had the local twist of the folk of uh, Anderson Hunt being from Detroit. Um, 103 to 73. Grandmama, uh, Greg Anthony, Stacy Augman, the Plastic Man, uh, my favorite role player. I like. I just liked his name, Moses Curry. Um, <laughs> but that team, that team right there was just top heavy loaded. And we we've had this conversation uh, in social media and in person before. Uh, which team would win? But that team was just heavy loaded. Like once you, if 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 Anderson Hunt or or Stacey Augman fought out, it was pretty much going to be a wrap for them cats. I mean, you know, if or if somebody got injured. But you look at that that uh, that whole piece, and and you look at those players, and at that point in time, everybody said, "Well, Larry Johnson should have been, you know, just that 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 guy for that team." And he was, you know, for the most part, but. That championship game against Duke, Anderson Hunt led him with 29 points. And it was always a good thing because, you know, Duke is the team we love to hate. And at that point, I don't think I had a reason to hate Duke. But I think that's when my hatred first started with Duke, with the fact that UNLV beat him. Now, I can attest, and look, dude, maybe things are coming full circle. I was a Michigan fan and die hard. But my second squad was UNLV. Like, like. <laughs> 1990 was my eighth grade year. I played basketball. I was either wearing a, a piston shirt underneath or UNLV uh, tank top underneath my jersey because that was my squad. <laughs> I, and once again, maybe it was their style of play cause, and maybe it was the Shark Tarkanian. I don't know why that they were my squad. Partially, yes, it was because they were winning. Partially, it's probably because of their style and their brashness because at the end of the day, I uh, – I, I firmly believe that there would be no Fab Five and the fanfare of Fab Five without that squad of UNLV. The only reason to stop UNLV, from my opinion, from being a Fab Five and the culture not in the being five freshmen is that they were all the way out in Vegas and they didn't mm-hmm. get the shine or the publicity. But they were definitely the Fab Five before the Fab Five. But they, this. This team, I guess, in two things became it was my favorite 
whooping in the game, and it began my hatred. I think my hatred for Duke. Like I was legitimately happy. Like in all reality, because ninety, this is ninety. 91, was it 91 or 92 with the Christian Leitner? 91? I think it was 91 the year they yeah, won the 91. championship. That just really the nail in the coffin. And hopefully I didn't steal you on your number four. But nah, that was, okay, that was like what put the nail in the coffin of me really loathing the Blue Dogs. All right. I, I digress. You know, I get excited talking about this. All right, go ahead. What's your <laughs> point? Um, my, you partly stole my thunder, but I'm going to keep it. My last two are going to be homers. Uh, the Fab Five, back-to-back years, um, basically doing what nobody expected them to do in their first year, making it to the final four, uh, championship game against Duke. Overmatched by Christian Leitner and Grant Hill, and like you said, that was you your your hate for the Blue Devils developed. Then I think mine was starting at the same time. Then following year, um, game that they should have won, had in their hands basically until Chris Weber forgot how to dribble and forgot that we had no more timeouts. And this game, I think, really changed your was the the snowball that changed the trajectory of Michigan basketball. Um, from that point on, I mean, they still got talent, but that opened the floodgates for the, the legal activities that ended up putting them on probation, which led to the, the, the car accident with Mateen Cleaves, which subsequently had him going to Michigan State instead of Michigan. Um and they just put us put those two programs on different paths that we're still as Michigan fans are still trying to recover from. So I think if you had one of those things where if you could go back in time and change one thing, I think like one sports thing, that would be one of the things that I would think I would consider heavily changing. Because if Michigan wins the national championship that year, I think this program their program is what Michigan State became. So that's why I look at that situation. And then Donald Williams just lit up Michigan. I'm like, who is this cat? No one knew who he was. And he had the tournament game of his life against the Wolverines that night. So it was just all bad for Michigan. It just, and they, the, the Tar Heels, even though it's like you had to pick one school, like even living in Charlotte, for a period of time, I was forced to kind of pick sides. And even though both teams beat Michigan, I didn't hate North Carolina as much as I hated Duke. Because it seemed like every year they would end up playing Duke in the regular season, and Michigan still would get the doors blown off of them by Duke. So that kind of fueled the hate. But whereas North Carolina, I think it was just that one game and that one opportunity for that frustration. So always sided with North Carolina whenever I watch that Duke-UNC matchup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I feel that. All right, so what's your last number five? Number five, um, and, and I talked about this last week, about being able to change a last-second moment in sports history or a sports event, and that's that um, 2014, 2014 
was it 2014 or 2015? Uh, 2014 Michigan Wolverines team. Oh, they yeah. went on the run. Trey Burke that not many fans have seen since the 1989 team. Nobody expected them to do what they did with the help of some precocious freshmen and a sophomore who wasn't supposed to be there. <coughs> um, Michigan did what they were supposed to do um, outside of a stretch where Luke Hancock uh, was reincarnated with the spirit of Larry Bird, it went off and, and just caused him to lose the game. But that run all the way, when you go back to the Kansas game with Trey hitting that shot, Syracuse them exposing the Orangemen with the, the, Syracuse, the Syracuse orange zone. And then even that, that Florida game, them blowing the doors off the Gators, it was just a perfect setup for the Wolverines to clinch. They just ran into – a uh, 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 Hobbit Louisville team. And I think any other team, I think Louisville was a team of destiny, and it, it just, the luck ran out, but it was a good run for the Wolverines that year. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I can watch that that run uh, and feel, and almost feel better about it than the run. The, the Michigan run where the, the timeout, even though I know I both end, I just feel better about how that run is. And there's, all, you know, there's that one questionable block that could have changed how things go. But my number one, I'm taking it back to Michigan National Championship of 89. Glenn Rice, my all-time favorite Michigan player, I patterned my game against him in middle school wearing the the, the T-shirt underneath my jersey. Not too many folks did that. I chewed gum. I uh, I tried to mimic my game after him until I had a growth spurt and I went from playing shooting uh, went from playing shooting guard to center and I just uh, just that. Tournament, man, just that shot. I mean, he would rise over anybody and pull up that shot. No fear whatsoever. And every time, I mean, I'm going to be honest, in college, I never saw a shot with Glenn Rice pulled up that I did not think was going in. And it was just a, a, a thing of beauty watching that, especially the controversy with Bill Frieder basically taking the Arizona State job why he still? Why they making a tournament run? Crazy! That was like one of the right. first times I heard of a coach. <laughs> take, how in the heck is Arizona State an upgrade over Michigan? That was that whole situation was like crazy. That made me love Bo Schembechler any even more by saying we need a Michigan. That's that's almost where the Michigan man uh, uh, statement came from. It is. It's just applied to everything mm-hmm. that we need a Michigan man coaching Michigan. And just that whole play, that team, Terry, Terry Mills, Lloyd Vaught, the rebounding machine, everybody had their role. Everybody played it to perfection, even Mike Griffin. Everybody played it to, to perfection. And at the end of the day, even though, I don't say it, even though at this point in time he's a rat bastard for all the stuff he's done afterwards, clutch, ice and veins, Ramil Robinson with those free throws. That's the only thing mm-hmm. I'm going to say something. I can't say too many nice things 
on articles that I've read about what he's done in his life after that. But just that whole thing, that one shining moment, I could see that whole video from one shining moment from the 89 season. Uh, and here's the thing, and most fans would not admit to this. I fell asleep. I was recording it. It was so late. <laughs> I'm in eighth, I'm in eighth, seventh grade. I fell asleep it, as the game went into overtime and woke up on the second free throw. So I was, like, kind of lost and discombobulated, and then the free throw went in. The long three, desperation three by Ramos, or was it Gaze? I can't remember. I think it was Ramos. Uh, did not go in, and it was just straight celebration. I couldn't. It took me like an hour to bring myself back down. But I literally fell asleep <laughs> in overtime. I missed everything in, in there. I had to watch the tape of what happened in overtime. But uh, great thing, it's that time. I just get excited about this. My memory, I don't I, I don't need, I won't need to take my Gein Cobra for about a week because talking about all this 89, 80, 92 basketball has got my memory running overload. But I love it. It's my top five. It's tournament time, folks. Will your team get in? Yes, sir. Will, will they advance? That's always up to question. It depends on where they are. But expect to see some, some good basketball, some team basketball, some upsets. And make sure you get in our bracket challenge because you could win. You, too, could be a champion. <laughs> so we'll get updates. Matter of fact, it's about that time after next week. Jen, Jen called into the show last week, but we, it's kind of tradition over the last couple of years during the tournament. She comes in and gives her a special memory. She's picked the, based upon the uniform colors. She's mm-hmm. trying to pick the, other things, but we're going to have her in because she's our, our resident expert, uh, so to speak, on, on the tournament and the unlikeliness of winning the tournament off random picks. But with that being the case, folks, we're out of here, man. It's tournament time. We will have it up on the website, on on, uh, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, how to join it. The more, the merrier. And we always you, – make sure you check our scoring because our short, scoring is probably different than any other tournament bracket that you have in there. This time we may have some minus points in there if it's, ups, if it's an upset and you didn't pick the upset or vice versa. So – Let's go get your brackets ready, and we'll talk about it because next Tuesday we'll be talking and and during during a play-in game or whatever they call it, rounder, uh, forward, whatever they call it. We'll be on the air next Tuesday. We'll have the brackets. We'll be able to go through all of the brackets and not be able to affect your discussion, and you can still do your bracket. So you can listen to us like we're the resident experts. But until then, folks, man, we are out of here. So we will see you next week. Make sure you tune in uh, for the uh, get the podcast at www.blogtalkradio.com slash sports Q&A. Also, on our website, it'll be up there as well, www.sportsqanda.com. And until next week, we will see you, good people. We out. Peace. Peace.